It's time to feel better with help from Dr. Suzanne Bennett. Allergies, nutrition, ultimate wellness, all discussed right here, right now. It's Wellness for Life Radio on Radio MD. Here's your host, Dr. Suzanne. More and more family, friends, and patients are all touched by someone who've been challenged by Alzheimer's disease, the most feared type of dementia that usually affects one in 10 people over 60 years old. Now, it's the sixth leading cause of death in the United States, and one in three seniors die with Alzheimer's. It kills more than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. And that's every 65 seconds someone in the United States develops this disease. This is staggering and it's getting worse. Today we have Dr. Raul John Dial, a dual trained brain surgeon and neuroscientist at City of Hope. From the operating room where he performs some of the riskiest surgeries around to the lab where he works on growing skin cells and injecting them into the brain to replace worn out neural tissue. Dr. John Dial is on the cutting edge of the latest advancement in neuroscience and also the author of Neurofitness. Neurofitness, the real science of peak performance from a college dropout turned brain surgeon. Oh my goodness. This is so awesome. So great to have you here on the show, Dr. John Dial. Delighted. Thank you for including me. You bet. You bet. You know, I'd love to hear your backstory about being a college dropout and then becoming this incredible brain surgeon now. What what happened there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's unconventional for sure. But when I went to college in the early 90s at UC Berkeley, I wasn't into it. I was just sort of going through the motions. And uh, quite simply, I dropped out. I was working as a security guard in a cafeteria and started doing a bunch of other things. I started volunteering at San Francisco General. That was an interesting uh, place to be, especially during the AIDS crisis. It's still going on, but back then it was completely catching everybody by surprise. And juxtaposed with that, my mom had developed breast cancer. She's doing fine. 25 years later, she's she's doing fine. So a lot of things happened that made me look at what I wanted to do. And then I went back to medical, uh, excuse me, to Berkeley, <clears throat> but my GPA sucked and I'd been gone for a while and it was real competitive then, as is now to get into medical school. But back then, uh, it was the dot-com bubble at first. So a lot of the engineers were moving over towards applying to medical school. So I had a long crawl back and luckily I got in. And then and then from there, I uh, went to training in brain surgery in San Diego and then did some more uh, focused training at San Francisco UCSF. And then I've been at City of Hope for the last 10 years. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. You know, I, I actually am really interested in, in your work because when I was 48, about nine years ago, I had the scariest experience, which was I lost a lot of my cognitive function when I had a head injury, head um, traumatic brain injury. And I lost my memory, you know, brain clarity. My mood and behavior was totally thrown off. My sleep was totally affected. So this book that you're talking about, Neurofitness, is exactly up my alley. And, you know, what I love about your book is that you're looking at it as fitness. Your brain needs to be trained. And just like our heart, lungs, and muscles when we're working out, you know, we really do need to train your brain if you want to prevent any form of these diseases that we're all getting here. So thank you so much for writing this book. And I'd love to for you to just share a little bit about what got you interested in writing it. Well, that's a 10-year that's project. So from age 35, when I finished my training, to age 45-ish now, I'm 46, uh, I was sort of getting maturity, the maturity that comes with taking care of patients over many, many years. So you see them, some of them pass away, some of them endure. You see the difficulties that they've gone through, and you get an instinct for that. At the same time, 
I started seeing a lot of baloney that was being peddled out there. Like this is where happiness lives and all these shortcuts to the brain, which simply don't apply. And so there was a, a, you know, a lot of misinformation. There was some instinct and training that I had from my care of patients. There's also the biology that I knew that I was working on, uh, working on in my lab. And I thought nobody's really put a book out there that covers the main topics, but starts with a really hot story, a great open to get you to understand how deep in the trenches I am about, for example, head injury. And that's one of the chapters and it opens with a gunshot wound and the guy was alive and drove himself in. Then I get into what is head injury a little bit in a very sort of readable way and then bust some myths and give you some takeaways along the way because it's not just a cool read. It's not just some good scientific information and stuff you can use and dispel myths along the way. So myth busting plus educating was uh, my motive, the impetus behind me uh, putting this book together. Well, I'll tell you, you did. You've definitely the myth myth busting was really fascinating, you know. But you also okay. talked a lot about uh, some of the the real real studies and science that that confirms that you can heal your yeah. brain. And I want to help. I want to help people talk. I'd love for us to talk about that because, uh, you know, on our on our show, yeah. it's all about the benefits of people, what can they do today? What can we they do today so that we don't deal with this that's you know growing so rapidly? And you want to talk specifically about dementia? Well, no, what I mean is like, how can we prevent it? How can we prevent this condition that yeah. so many people are touched with? So what are the main points that you put in the book um, that you know, you'd want to share here on, on Wellness for Life? Yeah, so the book has a wide range of topics from creativity, sleep, um, to all the different devices we can manipulate the mind with now. Not that anybody's signing up for that, but as a last resort, they can be life-preserving. But let's take how to, how to put your brain on the optimal track to not wearing out as fast as it might and not wearing out as fast as maybe others' brains are. That's really a glacial project. There is no catheter or no smart pill we can take right now that can make um, the risk of dementia or that fog that comes or the memory lapses, you know, the cognitive decline, the, the quickness with which you think and process goes down with age. You remember where you drive home to, you remember how to tie your shoelaces, that's procedural, but the juggling of many things, right? Our, our lives are busy, whether it's picking up the kids or juggling projects or work, that, that speed of processing like we have how quickly we can move through our apps on our phone that does wear down and that will wear down a little bit but the way we're living the things we're failing to do it's really accelerated in the way it's wearing down that goes hand in hand with the risk of dementia the stuff you do to keep yourself sharp is also the stuff you should do to keep the actual flesh of your brain from not wearing out much like your knee can wear out in alzheimer's brains their brain the flesh has worn out. So keeping the mind sharp for the things you want to get done during the day in your life, plus preventing, staving off Alzheimer, Alzheimer's is the same approach. And the first thing is, uh, the things I'm going to suggest are essentially free. And that's important to me that there aren't gizmos involved, that there isn't some sort of cult that you have to join because you have some secret access to brain health. First and foremost, being vertical. Now, I'm not going to say you got to run a marathon. You don't. But being vertical, if you're sitting in a chair, this applies to you. If you're walking a little bit, this applies to you. Being vertical 
whether you're standing right at home or you're walking the grocery store or you happen to be active and you go to the gym and you get on the treadmill, something about being vertical is better for the brain. So expanded, it's exercise. Now, it does it two ways. One, exercise unclogs or keeps the arteries unclogged in your brain much as it would your heart. So from the flesh point of view, your brain needs to be irrigated with blood. So exercise helps that. Then there's something else about exercise that the brain is floating. Think of it as an aquarium, and it's got this ecosystem and all these different elements and neurons in there. The richness of the fluid with chemicals that nourish the garden in your brain, those chemicals that have fancy names like nerve growth factor and BDNF, your brain actually releases more of those onto itself when you exercise. Like imagine your garden spritzing itself with miracle Grow because it was in a healthy, excuse me, it was in a healthy arrangement. And that is what exercise does. It lets your brain keep itself tuned up. So that's exercise. Number two, what we eat. Now, if you want a shortcut and you don't want to change anything, fatty fish a couple of times a week or those omega-3s are really the only supplement that I have seen solid literature for that spans decades that that can help with brain health, brain acuity, brain sharpness. Avoiding food that clogs your arteries, of course, that's relevant as well. But that also fits into sort of keeping the plumbing opening open and that exercise does a great job of that. Exercise feeds the nutrients to the brain that it wants. And then omega-3s are actually the component of the insulation. So those electrical signals are zipping around. That's, that good fat is needed in your diet. It, it should be eaten a couple of times a week, salmon a couple of times a week, and those pills are available too. So exercise, omega-3s through fatty fish. And then the last thing is keeping your mind engaged. Now, I'm not talking about an easy puzzle. I'm not talking about a big software that you purchase to, to do brain training, but it's a thinking beast. It's a thinking machine. It is thinking flesh. If you want to keep it sharp, you have to think. Now, that could be anything from, you know, running a church group to, you know, getting together on holidays. The act of planning, working, of course, uh, getting out, socializing, all of that stuff, it tells the brain, interact. Interact with the world around you and interact in a way that's not habitual. Interacting with your shoes to tie them doesn't challenge your brain. Meeting new people, going to new places, thinking about new projects, learning about new things that are on your computer. Anytime you ask the brain to come out of its comfort zone, that's mind exercise. So physical exercise to keep the arteries unclogged because it is flesh, omega-3s, fatty fish, and then, of course, thinking a little bit out of your comfort zone. Those are the free and simple things that you can do to stave off dementia, Alzheimer's, as well as keep yourself sharp. Mm. Perfect. Perfect. What? Love it. I love the word vertical. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. You know, one one tool that I had was this um, early yoga unit that I used for my recovery and where I actually went in vertical, meaning like I went upside down. And I cannot tell you how much that helped me, especially because I had a not only a head injury, I had a neck injury. So it really helped just separate and decompress my spine, my cervical spine, but also getting that blood flow to the brain, it just made it a difference for me. Uh, what do you think about that? I know you went vertical, meaning like you're walking I, I like upright. that. Right. No, so what I would say, from my understanding, 
that the inversion tables are great for issues where the bones of your spine are trapping the nerves that are trying to exit. So being a little bit inverted, it, it opens up the exit pathways and the nerves pull off. The way our bodies are designed, just like the way you can eat when you're lying flat or standing, the way our bodies are designed, the blood vessels regulate how much blood flow goes to your brain. So whether you're inverted or standing up, the way the heart and the plumbing is, is structured, you're going you're gonna to get the same amount of flow. Otherwise, you would get headaches when you lie down and you would faint when you stand up. That's kind of what happens when you live in space like uh, the astronaut did. He had a lot of brain congestion. But on the ground, I don't see any evidence for an inversion table helping with brain issues. But I think there is literature that shows that inversion tables can help with pinched nerves in the neck and the lower back. Mm, well, that could be because for me, it really helped control my pain uh, that I had in the neck. And, you know, when we experience pain, it really affects our, our brain as well, just from the feeling of it, right? The feedback we get. Yeah, pain is a, that's a hard one and it's very personal. But we do know that once you start feeling pain, the mind and the brain somehow start to brace for that pain. And that creates a weird psychological loop where you're in tension and you're almost overly sensitized to that next round of pain coming in. And that's why it's so hard to break that cycle because the brain sort of embraces it almost uh, by preparing for that next round of pain, whether it's leg pain, whether it's a headache or if a migraine's coming back on or abdominal discomfort. It's got a strange relationship with pain because Pain is the original trigger. Like, don't do this. Don't grab the, you know, rose bush. This is something to avoid. So your brain's extremely sensitive to pain, as it should be to get out of trouble and avoid trouble. But when you get that chronic pain, it kind of glitches out. It doesn't know what to do with it. It's hypersensitive because it's pain, and that's the design. Pain is supposed to be a noxious stimulant. A stimulant. And then at the same time, it's also when you have it every day, it can change the neurochemistry of your mind to where you're actually more sensitive to the pain you were having in the past. Hence, these these sort of conditions where people get stuck on, on narcotics and the narcotics also feed into that. And there's a lot of feed-forward loops that, that create a permissive environment for pain actually growing despite the injury not growing. And that we don't completely understand. There's where acupuncture, there's where meditation, there's where... Uh, exercise, of course, if you can, all those things come in to change that balance uh, that can help you along with medical treatments if needed to come off narcotics or to deal with your pain. Right. Good. Great point. You know, you mentioned earlier that thinking, thinking and creating your mind, you're getting, keeping your mind engaged really makes a difference in enhancing the functionality and creating uh, the health of your brain. brain. But also meditation. Meditation is about calming your brain, not thinking. And I, uh, I'd like you to just tap into that a little like bit. That. So, you know, thank you for that. That's a great pivot. And that's a great point on top of that. Um, people think, okay, this guy's a surgeon. He's growing brain cells in a Petri dish. This is going to sound too not science-based for him. And, and I think that's the purpose of this book. There are things that sound unreliable or they sound like this is just some sort of stuff that people are peddling to make money on people concerned about their brain. And it's hard to figure out what. So 
Meditation is something that I think many people in medical practice, as well as who are unfamiliar with it, think, well, what, what is, you know, can that really work? And the thing is, it does. And it's worked for thousands of years. It's lasted through many cultures. And now in the last few decades, and particularly the last few years, we are showing direct, measurable evidence of the effects of meditation on the human brain. And the effects we'll get into, but the, the how, we, how we got direct measurements is kind of an interesting story. So if some people have epilepsy, which is abnormal brain rhythms, it's like an arrhythmia of your brain, and we can't figure out where it starts, there's no obvious epicenter, then they come into the hospital, they get brain surgery, they choose this, they, but we don't get into the brain, we just remove the skull, and then they, they lay a thin grid, it looks like a thin pancake with little wires coming off of it. You put the skull cap back on, and you hang out in the hospital for a week, waiting to capture that seizure and to figure out where it started, because that's how you can get rid of it surgically. So this is when medicines don't work. This is when conservative measures don't work. While those kids and people are in the hospital for a week, they're bored. And, they're, and so people come by, neuro, you know, psychiatrists, neurophysiologists, and they say, hey, do you want to play a game? Like, let's do some meditating. And that way we have these, free, you know, bonus free recordings of how your mind changed when you started med meditating. So we really have direct, like needle, not needles, but like a grid on the surface of the brain measurement, not just stickers on the forehead. And what's interesting is that when they did this, they found meditating, I don't know, there are a lot of words around meditating, but what I write in the book and what I like is meditative breathing. I don't know what you're thinking about. Maybe you're thinking about the top of Mount Everest and you're in some trance, wonderful state. Great. But maybe you're on a Malibu and you're on a vacation and it's an extremely expensive place and they've got the yoga mats and that makes you feel like you're calm and healing. Great. I'm not in the way of any of that. That's, it's a personal thing. But what I know is controlled breathing, things that have been practiced by monks, things that we see deep sea divers do, uh, things that we see patients do when they're recovering from surgery, though deep meditative breathing, breathing changes the electricity in your brain and usually even when you're calm, the electricity is still there, but the symphony that the electricity is playing is the more calm symphony. The brain never shuts down. It doesn't rev down. It just plays a different tune, a calm tune versus a raging tune, but it's always active and always engaged. So meditation through deep breathing, you could do it in your car before you go in for a meeting. You can do it in the car before you get home if you've been fighting with your lover. It's there for you. And you don't need to spend money on it. You can go on an app and figure out what the cadence is. And just that process, people, athletes do it also, just that process is meditating in my mind. You can add layers on top of it. But for, for me, it's meditative breathing. And there is direct proof it works. Mm, that's perfect. I love that. Breathing is, we all do it. But surely enough, a lot of us don't know how to breathe properly. And we're shallow breathers. We breathe up in our chest rather than the diaphragmatic breathing, which really calms your body down and activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Now that you mentioned about the symphony of the Very brain. Good. Yeah. And I know that my, uh, a lot of my patients who are really, these are all, uh, I live in Los Angeles and we're all, they're all under a lot of great deal of stress and anxiety. So one of the things that I ask them to do is actually take on a musical instrument. And I find that that's super powerful in get, getting them out of their mind and out of their mind and in their body. And even if it's like playing a little ukulele, and I, I, I love ukulele Mike on on um, YouTube and learning on how to play a little instrument like that. I, I play 
the electric guitar. That's what I took on. When I, I had the head injury, the first thing I did was I got to do something else outside of my body because I got to get rid of my thought process of always being in my, my pain syndromes and whatnot. So I started mm-hmm. taking lessons and it was really healing. How do you feel about music and how it helps our brain? Well, that's interesting. Music if, is in some ways the most engaging way to think because it involves you physically to make your fingers move. It involves listening. And then there's some mysterious, inscrutable elements to it that we don't know. But when we look at brain scans, they're really the ones that are engaging the most broad and far corners of their brain. So it's not like music lives in one spot. And so music seems to be that, and especially learning music, not just playing it, but learning to play a musical instrument is in some ways what I mentioned earlier, the greatest form of challenging your brain to think. And when you exercise your brain by thinking, when you give it a new task, so it doesn't just flip back in a default mode about stress, worry, and pain, it can be quite therapeutic and meditative as well. Mm, Love it. I'm so glad that, you know, everything that... um... I think that we can do, and what you're giving are things that we all can do at our own pace, at our own time, in the car, yeah. in our home. Yeah. I mean, that's really what neurofitness, your BIC, is really about. I love that. Dr. John Dial, is there something else that you want to share besides, you know, your book's out. Uh, we can get it anywhere. Is that correct? It'll be out on June 4th, I hear. And um, the only thing I want to share, you know, in conclusion, if you will, is that, you know, don't take the shortcut. If, if there's a shortcut to healing your knee and you want to take a pill or you want to put a certain magnetic band on there, fine. You know, because it's a knee, it's a, it's a bony structure with ligaments. We get that. If you want to unclog an artery, you want to exercise and eat well and take your cholesterol medicine, I get that. That's plumbing. But with the mind, be careful of hearing simple shortcuts that are not based on real science. And because the mind is so complicated, it's also the most easy to be manipulated when it's presented in the lay press. So this book, that was the goal, is some of the stuff that you're hearing, like your gut is the second brain, we don't really believe that, we meaning the experts in the brain field. But it's a catchy thing because there's a web of nerves around your gut. On the other hand, so you're thinking, okay, he's dispelling, he's saying no. Your gut isn't your second brain. Okay, that's that's unexpected, right? Because that was presented for a while. At least my, that's my perspective. And then on other ways, you're anticipating, oh, this guy's not going to say meditation is useful. And I'm showing you direct evidence how we're measuring this in people with brain surgery for epilepsy. So you'll be surprised. Things you believe uh, aren't true and things you think, no way that could be true, are actually true. And that is how the brain works. It just cannot be conceptualized and understood with gimmicks and bullet points and bumper stickers. So I encourage you to literally and figuratively keep an open mind and just flip through some stuff and uh, keep thinking about you, which is your brain. It's a great book, really great book, you know, and, and what I'm hearing here right now, as you're telling me, talent talk, talking to us about, you know what, don't go for the shortcut. Neuro fitness is a lifelong, lifelong activity. That's exactly. what it is. It's Perfect. an activity that's lifelong. Perfect. You don't want to stop. 
You want to keep your mind going just like your heart. You want to keep that heart going and you want to keep it strong. You got to exercise, you know, just like if you want to get your joint, keep your joints healthy and moving and fluid without it being painful, then you've got to move. And that's what you got to do with the brain. Yep. That's what I'm hearing about neurofitness. Is that right? Is that right? Dr. Is that that's hundred percent right, right. And we're, and we're not suggesting you got to do it hours a day, but there are some simple short habits to include five, 10 years from now. You'll thank yourself for it. That's right. That's why we got to keep it going. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. John Dial. Neurofitness is the book. Neurofitness, the real science of peak performance from a college dropout turned brain surgeon. That's great. Thank you so much. All right. Now, I know you've learned something huge here, valuable information about your brain and how you can help yourself and your loved ones, your children, and the future of your family. So do share this with everyone, and I know that your, your life will be for the better by reading this book. If this is your first time listening in, make sure to subscribe so I can continue to serve you with the most current natural health information available today. And let's connect on Instagram. I'm on at Dr. Suzanne, and I post regularly. <clears throat> on how to become the best version of yourself through nutrition, self-care, lifestyle, and kimchi, and whatever you know else you've got some questions that you've got. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and respond to you all personally myself. All my comments are made by my, me. So and if you need to dig deeper, you know, and you want to really learn more about what's going on with you, getting to the root cause, I take care of people all around the world through phone and Skype consultations. So go ahead and get my contact info on my website at Dr. Su excuse me, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.